Hello, hello. My name is Keisha Chung. And my name is Muna Traore. And welcome to CC Creative Conversations, the podcast. Where we chat with different BIPOC creatives and community leaders we love and admire. Today we have a wonderful guest. A wonderful guest. But uh, before we get into that, hey, Keisha. Hey. How you doing? Let's do a check-in. I'm good. Um, but before we do the check-in, I want to say uh, something to all the people that have been supporting the show since we launched it. Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, of course. Yeah, like I feel like we, I like I, I guess we were doing, we've been working on this for a little while. So I kind of forgot that feeling that happens when you release something. And then when we release it and people are like, oh my God, this is so cool. I was like, oh yeah, this, like, people are actually going to listen to this. You know what I mean? We were just doing it and it's just been so nice to get so many nice messages, people sharing the podcast and sending us nice notes. Um, We've also got some people emailing us to ask to be on the show. So it's just been really, really awesome. And I just want to thank everybody for all your support and um, positivity towards this project. It's so nice. (laughs) Yeah. I want to echo that. It's been so nice to feel that like collective community coming together to support us in this new venture. And I know that um, maybe it was something people didn't necessarily expect, but it sounds like a lot of people were very excited to hear that we were doing it and mm-hmm. um, it's needed. So um, again, it reminds us that, you know, cause sometimes when I'm like creating or doing something, I forget that like, once it's out there, people are actually going to interact with it. Exactly. It sort of like just ends once I complete the project. Yeah. I don't really think about all the iterations of it beyond its yeah, release. Exactly. And so it was just like a nice reminder that, oh, now it has a life of its own. There are people mm-hmm. who are going to possibly listen to the podcast and maybe feel a way about it, maybe feel excited about it, but it's beyond my control. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it that's exactly how I felt too. So yeah, thank you so much, everyone. So you asked me how I'm doing. I'm doing all right. Um, I went away last weekend, which was really fun. Like not, I didn't like break any COVID rules. There's people in my bubble. It's my friend's Where did birthday. you go? I went to Quebec. Um, we stayed at this eco house, which was like, it was actually a really cool experience. Um, the house was like literally heated by fires we had to make. Oh, wow. And it was like solar panels that were powering the house. Um, there were a couple like interesting moments, but- How did you um, find the house? On Airbnb. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're really excited. It was really exciting to um, get to go somewhere different and just be in a new space, you know? Um, and the stars were beautiful. Everything that I brought with me there smells like fire, like firewood. Like it smells like I went camping, but um, yeah, it was really nice. It was really fun. So that was a really refreshing time just to be able to, you know, be with my friends and just get out of the city for a little bit. Um, So that in that sense, I'm, I'm doing well. I finally got my sleeping schedule normal. I'm so happy. And thank you, CBD oil. Thank you so much, because that is what has helped regulate my sleep. And I'm waking up at a reasonable time, going to bed at a reasonable time. I have my nighttime tea. I have my morning tea and I can function like a normal human being again. So two months later and we're here. Thank God. So yeah. Congratulations. I'm, I'm Thank you so much. I'm really happy about it. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. How, how are you doing? I'm so happy for like the first time in almost a year. 
I feel like regulated and I feel so much better. So when we recorded the first episode, I was uh, quarantining at my grandma's cottage in Muskoka. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I am in California back in our apartment. And you know what? Vitamin D baby. I bet you glowing. You glowing. I I feel so much better. We finished our quarantine here. So we've been going on hikes and really enjoying the nature because we live up in the mountains and there's hummingbirds. Literally the other day we were walking and there was this like beautiful bush full of like flowers and it was filled with these little green birds. And it's, it's just extraordinary, the nature here. And I find it really calming. And uh, I've got my sleep schedule straight as well. Like, I think because I, I, when I went back to Toronto, I got back on a sleep schedule that was like kind of okay, but because of COVID and because I could just sleep in as long as I wanted, Mm -hmm. it was really hard to find any motivation to wake up early. And then, um, it, it like, it's just taken me a long time to get my body adjusted. And so when I came to California, obviously I'm three hours behind. Yeah. So now I just wake up at like seven 30, eight o'clock every morning. And I'm getting into a routine and I feel so much better because especially because it's so beautiful out, you want to make the most of the day. And that little impetus has made me feel like I have something more to live for, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm really, really happy to hear that. I know we've been talking a lot, um, you know, outside of the podcast and it's nice to know that you're getting into a nice flow and you feel good and you I've look been meditating great, as I said before. every day. Oh. Like I have been keeping to Ooh, you. some of my intentions from um, not New Year's resolutions, New Year's intentions, New Year's intentions um, like from that. the beginning of the year. So, yeah. Nice. Well, that's great. Um, so what have you been listening to, watching, reading? You mean what's, what's feeding, feeding you? Me? What's feeding you, Muna? Um, Tell me. Trash. I am (laughs) so happy to be in America because now we have HBO Max, we have Hulu, we have like a whole different uh, crop of movies and entertainment to enjoy. Nice. And of course, of everything that's available to me, what is the thing I'm the most excited to watch? 90 Day Fiance. Oh my God. Because they have like every season on Hulu and that show is like (laughs) crap to me. I like, I I can never get enough. And so I've been uh, binge watching season six of 90 Day Fiance. Okay. Loving it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What else have have we been watching? I don't know. We've just been exploring the movies on HBO Max, some of the shows. I know this is embarrassing, but I am finally watching I May Destroy You and I'm loving it. It's so good. It's so good. And we can save that for another discussion. Yes, I think we should when you finish it. Um, and something else that we just recently started watching is, I think it's called crime scene, the Cecil hotel. Have you seen that, that on Netflix? Netflix? Yeah. I saw it. I don't, I'm really weary of watching crime stuff. I'm such a scaredy cat. I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say maybe like two years ago is when I be able, was able to comfortably sleep in the dark. And I, yeah, so I don't watch a lot of crime stuff. And I used to watch like Criminal Minds, Law and Order, SVU. And then it just became a point where like, I was always paranoid in my own house. And I was like, this isn't normal. Like you need to stop. So I saw it, but I don't know if I'm necessarily going to watch it because it looks scary. It is horrifying, but also fascinating. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons why I want to watch it is because it it's about a 
an infamous hotel in Los Angeles and Mm -hmm. I'm living in Los Angeles. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because it tells the history of the area. It tells the history of the hotel and then goes into the case. And I am like hooked. I am like, what is going on? It's Mm. human beings, man. We are truly something else out of pocket, out of pocket. Like the shit that we do to each other too much. Y'all need to chill. Girl, I was like rereading this article I found um, on The Guardian about this guy who advocates for human um, extinction. And I was like, you know what? He's onto something. <laughs> you know what? He's, he's like everything he that he, here. <laughs> he, he was making a lot of sense to me. <laughs> um, um, and I, I've seen articles about people who identify as like speciesist, but like against mm-hmm. the human species. And I'm like, like Loki, I think that's what I am. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like if aliens are coming, I'm going with the aliens. aliens. Cause here it's, it's trash. It's, it's, it's not fun here. Do you remember that moment a couple, a couple weeks ago? Earth is ghetto. I wanna leave. I can't <laughs> on the street at the corner. That girl who made the song and it went viral. Yeah. yeah. I can't sing. Sorry, audience. But <laughs> It's yeah, back, that's, that's my vibe. Um, it's funny too, because I always say like when people are like, yeah, like human beings, like we're going to like kill the earth and blah, blah. I'm like, yes, we're going to do, we are doing terrible damage to the earth, but people forget the earth has been around for billions of years. It will eat us before we eat it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, earth is, like, is going to be here after us. It's just about after. whether or not, it's about how much damage we do before earth decides to release some shit some gases from the bowels of her belly (laughs) to eradicate us exactly exactly um well that's good i'm i i feel like you're watching some fun stuff it's always good to watch light things i'll be so honest with you i don't watch reality tv I've never watched 90 Day Fiance. You're missing out. I know. I've heard. Girl, but don't I've you just... want to watch these Renta Rasta situations in like <laughs> real life, in real time? But I, I, just, I don't know. It just, I would prefer to just like watch a bad like TV, like narrative TV. Okay, not bad, but just, you know. You know I the shows. You, we could make a list, but you know. I love anything that makes me scream at the TV. Also, <laughs> something I highly recommend everybody listening watch. I care a lot. I care a lot. What is this? It's a movie with Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage. And it's about like a, like a, a care worker who like sort of is supposed to be like an elderly advocate, but has nefarious intentions. I don't want to give it away, but I was screaming at the TV the whole time. I hated this bitch. I wanted her to die. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, she better get it. She better get it. She better get it. All right. I love a thriller. I love something that keeps me on the edge of my seat. Um, I also watch a movie called The Gift with okay. Joel Edgerton and uh, Jason Bateman. And I can't remember the name of the actress in it. But again, it's like one of those movies where the whole time you're like, don't fuck with him. You mm. fuck with him. He's coming to the house. You better your fault. What are you doing going into that room alone? Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. You, I think after this, we have to make a little list so I can actually watch some of the stuff. Cause I, even when I uh, realized in the first episode, we talked about a show on Amazon that you're watching, like, yeah, I'm going to watch it before we record the next episode. And I didn't watch it cause I forgot the name of it. So after this, we're going to exchange some things and then, um, yeah, I can watch some stuff and we can chit chat. Okay. I'll send you a list. Yeah. So Keisha, Hi. what's feeding you, baby girl? 
Um, so I finally started watching season two of Sex Education. I was saving it. Have you seen Sex Education? I have not. I have had many people come to me and it. say like, this person is you. You need to watch this. You need to watch it. It's uh, so good. So yeah, it's on my list. It's definitely on my list. Yeah. So um, I season two came out, I think last year. And when I'm like working on something, especially something that's film related, I try not to watch new things because then I'll be like, oh, I want to do something like that. And I like, I get inspired. So I put off watching it because I was filming my movie during that time. And then um, season three was supposed to come out this year, but then COVID happened. So they pushed it back. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just wait until it comes out to watch it like season two, then season three, but I couldn't wait. And I watched season two and it's so, so good. Like, I forgot how much I love the show and now I'm rewatching season one and then I'm going to watch season two again because I just love it. I love how it's shot. I love everything about it. Um, so I'm watching that. That's been really wonderful and fun. And um, something though, that when I was watching it, got me thinking. So when you see the show, you'll notice it's not set in a specific time period. There's a lot of mixes between like eras in it. So they have like 80s clothes but it's set in 2018. It's in England, but it looks like an American high school. So they like mixed a bunch of stuff to create this world, which is so cool. So I wanted to ask you something in watching this. Okay. If you could, if you could pick um, some mixes of eras to create like a movie or a TV show, what would you pick? Like, let's say you could pick like fashion from one era, technology from another, different time place, like mix up some worlds and create something. What would yours be? Oh my God. I would love to see like, is it like 16th or 17th century French court nobility like okay. dress? Yes. In the future where people are on like hoverboards with like music from the 80s, like rock glam music, like I love that. But everybody's black. <laughs> oh my god yes I love it oh that's so good I feel like mine would be kind of boring especially in comparison to yours so I would love to have like 90s R&B vibes like music is all that time period where you have like all the like boy bands and all that fun stuff and then like early like late 90s early 2000s fashion would be super fun or like 40s fashion with all the like like nice like formal wear you know you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah that'd be fun right I'm, All like formal I'm, stuff. I'm just not vibing with it but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay fine <laughs> and then technology wise i would pick like mid 2000s so like 2010 era like when facebook was just starting so it's not like crazy you got a disc man yeah exactly you know you're using emerson messenger t.wire for the toronto people that listen oh, to this you know what i'm saying Black Planet, you got you got all the different all the different that that kind of era of technology would be super fun with like. Oh a no, 90s no 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 no! It was Meet no? Me in To. Meet Me in To. I was only on T Wire. Oh, there was like a Toronto social media website very early on called Meet Me in To. Oh my god! <sighs> what was your username on it? I I don't want to know. Don't want to remember. I remember having you. a Black Planet account when I was like twelve. <laughs> trying to like talk to niggas in Atlanta like what was I doing like what that's fine I remember my my name on t.wire but I don't know if I want to say because it's kind of embarrassing it's not that bad but I, I brought it, it up I feel like I have to say it now because I brought you it up you didn't even ask me um it was uh, Lil yeah. underscore Jamaican Gial 101 <laughs> <laughs> like were you really alive in the 2000s 
if you didn't have like a little lil. A little, yeah. I, had, I was, um, so I had, a, I had multiple accounts. Because mm-hmm. I had a lot of American friends when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so for my American friends, I had ICQ and AOL Messenger. Okay. And then for my Canadian friends at home, I had MSN Messenger. Okay. And everything to do with like my American friends was Lil Pumpkin. Lil Pumpkin. But pumpkin <laughs> spelt with Y's. <laughs> Lil Pumpkin. I was Lil Pumpkin. And then um, for my Canadian friends, I was Blue Raccoon. Blue raccoon. Yes. <laughs> I like little pumpkin. Still oh little my pumpkin. god, that's so funny. I love that. That's great. It's so funny to think about that time, like all the things you were doing. It's oh my god. So I was listening to um I heard all my life. That song. You know, all my life. I pray for some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every dance, um, every school dance, it was like, okay, you stand with the boy. <laughs> yeah, you're like this. And I was thinking, I'm like, I just I got like a throwback to like me in like my little like 15 year old self singing the song about my boyfriend at the time and I'm thinking to myself girl like what what life you're 15 you're like all your life you prayed for someone who you haven't even been on this earth that long <laughs> Are oh you... God. all those like slow songs like, it's like why oh, was man. life so hard at that age I know oh, it damn. was it was but um otherwise I've just been really watching sex education and um I finished your honor um not sure that show is great but like there's a lot of things in it that okay. i yeah do you want i don't unpack, think or do we have the time i don't even know if we have the time but have, are you gonna watch it no okay well i i, I feel it's like just, we can, it's just not my vibe right now honestly yeah it's 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 um it's really entertaining it's great but i don't think that like if you haven't seen it i don't really want to like and i don't want to spoil it for people you know mm-hmm. but um i was watching that but last thing i want to bring up so something happened to me yesterday or a couple days ago so okay do you, did you ever watch the proud family girl obviously okay good so do you remember that episode where like sugar mama lost a bunch of weight and got a makeover because she was gonna get married yeah yeah I do. so there was a meme and I okay I have to preface this a little bit so I have a finsta like most people do mm-hmm. and um, I was just on my finsta on the explore page of all places and I saw this meme that said sugar mama's weight loss transformation was everything. And it shows a picture of her before and then after. So then I was like, oh, this, that's fucking problematic. I didn't even realize it because I hadn't seen the show in so long. So I wrote, I commented, this shit is hella problematic. Then this comment gets like 400 and something likes in like a night. And like, I ended up in this like Instagram comment battle with all these random people and like back and forth yeah but like I well I was reading what people were saying and then I was responding that they were responding and like I don't do that like I think that conversations online are very unproductive because people can hide and toxic people can hide behind the screen but it was on my finsta and I wasn't even expecting anyone to comment on it so I was like ooh, like I've never done this let's jump into this like this is so fun and it honestly got fun and like I saw how it could be very easy to get mean as well because there was moments where like someone was saying to me I'm like this makes no sense you're making no sense Mm -hmm. so what the main point people were saying was like me saying that it was problematic means I'm sensitive and like I was like how like people were like saying that you know if just because she loses weight that's a good thing like you guys are always trying to find something that's wrong and always trying to pick a fight with things and this one girl's like it's not sensitive if these cartoons actually correspond with society beauty standards like don't be ignorant which I thought was a really good point but my main thing for bringing this up was like in this conversation I realized that people 
are very hesitant to be critical of things while also enjoying them. Like you can be critical of something mm -hmm. you enjoyed and still enjoy it. That's, that's okay. But it's like the second you say, or you point out something that could be flawed in content or could be problematic, people assume that you're saying a bunch of other things you're not even saying. You're just saying, this is problematic for mm -hmm. this reason. It doesn't mean I don't like the show. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to still watch it. And if I choose not to, that's okay. But me pointing this out doesn't mean anything than me pointing this out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that like, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with unpacking media and unpacking the images that we digest because yeah. they give us comfort. You know, we grew up on Disney. We grew up on some of these cartoons, mm -hmm. but we as adults don't want to hold these filmmakers or hold the creators accountable because mm -hmm. we think that that's going to tarnish our memories or our image, ruin our nostalgia. But mm -hmm. actually I think it empowers us and gives us the ability to like interact with it on a deeper level. Like yeah. I can love, um, I don't know what's problematic. The, I mean, not, I mean, we can talk <laughs> about it all day. The boondocks. Yes. I can also talk about it on so many different levels and contextualize it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it, but maybe me watching it as a 13 year old or whatever is very different than me now watching it in a room full of white people. Exactly. Because of who I am and what I know and yeah. how I understand this content differently. Exactly. It's so true. It's funny that you bring that up because I remember when like I haven't really rewatched the Boondocks as an adult. But you should. I it's when I was, so good. I know I'm going to. I actually have. It's my next show to watch. But um, one of the reasons I haven't is because when I was younger, I went to school with a lot of you know different groups of people, but I did have a lot of white friends. And um, when I was introduced to the show, I would watch it with my white friends, and I would always feel really uncomfortable. Like I didn't like the show because I was watching it with with white people, and I didn't. I guess at the time I didn't know that that would change the way I was interacting with this content, mm -hmm. but it always made me feel really uncomfortable. And then when I got older, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, it's a completely different experience to watch something with, especially something like the boondocks because with people it is that aren't black. for us. Yes. And I think at the time I felt like we were being, they were laughing at the show, not with it. And that's what made that discomfort happen in me you know that's what made me like I don't like the show because I felt so uncomfortable but now I watched one of the first episodes and I was dying of laughter I'm like this is great but it's like what you said now I'm at a place where I can even look back at that experience and be like okay that's why you were uncomfortable it wasn't the show it was the context in which you were watching it and engaging yeah. with it you know and it I just I think it's very odd that we're taught to think in these really extreme dichotomies and in these binaries and, and in these very polarizing ideas that like you can't, why can't you be critical of something and still enjoy it? Sis, because some people don't have the range. I know, it's true. That That's a real thing. It's true. Some people so true. just don't have the range. And so, and I find, especially in conversations on social media, like you're, you're literally just punching air. So, you are. <laughs> you like, are. Like, like I'm not, I'm not going to go back and forth with someone who is committed to misunderstanding, but yeah. has no, uh, critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to so do true. it. It's not worth my time. It's and so I've had that was my, that was my first and last doing that. But what were you yeah. going to say? Sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Um, I, well, you know, it's good. You got that out of your system. You probably learned from it and you know, you know, every, every, 
not everybody wants to be awake or aware or not necessarily saying that people aren't awake or aware just like not everybody has the same perspective or wants to have the same experience on this planet some people literally want to be able to just go home have a coke and watch whatever the fuck and like not really think about how what the meaning of what they're consuming Mm, yeah and then there are some people who do and then like and I don't think either is right or wrong unless it's like severely harming people yeah unless like I think I don't think that it's wrong but I think in this time that we live in like I had the conversation um about this with my stepdad and we were saying how like before information was you'd you'd go to school to get specific information right like that's that was your access to books to knowledge but now we live in a time where knowledge is infinite information is infinite there's too much of it almost we're in an overload Mm -hmm. and it's like we don't we no longer need people to teach us what to learn we need to we need people to teach us how to ingest information how to be critical Mm, how to learn literacy how to learn and how to yes. see something media literacy thank you is not. media literacy it's needed like oh my god this is whole, in the time we're in now this is a whole other conversation i know back like <laughs> honestly media literacy yes media literacy it need it, like we need it and that's like even with that meme that's what i was saying is like it's i can be critical of this and still enjoy the show i'm literally gonna watch the proud family i want to watch it now that's like boondocks proud family i'm gonna kind of do it at the same time after i finish sex education but it's like, it's, it's even, I remember in the first episode, I was saying how I was watching The Office and like, I really enjoyed it, but I was also aware of how problematic that show is, but I still enjoyed it. I still finished the whole thing. So, you know, like, but man, media literacy, it needs to happen. Hey guys. So we are so excited for our first interview. We have with us today my best friend, Talia Randolph, who is an LA-based healer and teacher who specializes in a number of practices. Uh, I'm gonna let Talia take it away and explain to you what she does. Uh, But Talia, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, of course. I'm so excited to be your guys' first guest. And, So yes, I'm a multidisciplinary healer and the mediums that I work through is a combination of meditation, Reiki, sound, and yoga. And you also do a couple other things. You're an end of life doula and you do some spiritual mentorship. And for a lot of people, something like end of life doula, like people are like, what, what, what is that? I thought doulas brought in babies. I had never heard of that (laughs) until I was learning about all the things you do. So I am also very curious to hear about this. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea of an end of life doula has been around for a really long time. Just the word or the phrase end of life doula is a more, um, I guess, new term that people are starting to call it, but it's essentially someone who is helping a person and or their family going through the process of someone close to them who is leaving this realm. And so just as we use a birth doula to bring in life, we use a death doula to facilitate and help that process as someone is making that transition um, over to the other side. And the reason why death doulas um, really started to become a thing is because of the amount of people who die alone for people who do not have family that is able to take care of them 
or loved ones um, or children or close friends. There's many people in hospitals who experience loneliness. And so doulas are people that can come into these spaces and build that personal relationship and connection to that person who is going through this deeply personal time and wants to be able to express what they're moving through. And, you know, nurses have so much going on that they often kind of in a way take on this work, even though they don't really have the time. So an end of life doula, their sole purpose is to be there for that reason. And I think another reason why we're also starting to see it surface more right now is many people um, are not a part of major organized religions, but they're still looking for some type of spiritual healer teacher presence there to help guide them. And so even though hospitals will have, you know, kind of like an on-site chaplain, if you're not Catholic or if you're not Christian, that may not be enough for you. That not might be the person that you want to speak to. Mm -hmm. um, and so an end-of-life doula is someone who is interfaith um, and is able to help people no matter what their religious background is. Wow. That is so profound. I feel so, like, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Luna. No, I was just going to say, I feel like we, we got somewhere we didn't even intend to go, but um, <laughs> um, can we backtrack and start with uh, before you became an end-of-life doula, how you got your start and how you came to not only practicing meditation, but all of these other things? So in... Specific with the realm of end of life, I was starting to have clients um, who were not end of life, but in different ages of their cancer journey. And so I would start seeing a new client and then a few months into working with that client, they would reveal to me the type of cancer that they have. And so what first sparked me wanting to do the training was just to be able to better serve the clients that are already coming to me um, and in a way, I have found myself to be somewhat of a magnet for people who are going through um, extreme suffering. So for, you know, people, loved ones that have passed on in my own life, I would have them show up to me in, in the form of visions. Um, and I started to kind of build this relationship to the other side from a pretty young age. I would have a friend um, or a grandparent um, or a cousin, all people in my life who have passed, who would visit me. And so this started to kind of, I kept it very private and it's something that started to open me up to the possibility of this work. And it's also something um, that my godmother does. Um, She's not an end-of-life doula. She's more of a psychic medium, but she specifically helps people's families who have loved ones that passed on and are seeking help because there's a lot of um, unrest in their lives due to the tragic way that this person passed on. And so growing up with my godmother as my mentor also, I felt just very comfortable um, in the whole world of death and dying. It was something that we talked about often. Anytime we met for dinner, we would have conversations about death and dying and what person or client or family that she was helping at that time. 
And I never thought it would be something, like everything that I do, I never thought that it would be something that I would enter into. But as I started to get older, um, in kind of like my teens and early 20s is when I would have people from the other side start to visit me. And so I was kind of like, okay, you know, I don't know that this is necessarily something that um, I'm not seeking it out. It is, was never a focus. But then as the clients were starting to show up in my life, I was like, all right, <laughs> clearly I need to go deeper into this. This is something that's coming to me. And then, you know, within my own family, my godfather passed about a year and a half ago. And he asked me to come to his bedside and visit him. And everyone in the family was a little unsure because he was very resistant to even, you know, receiving help from his own wife, who, you know, is my godmother, who does this work for decades. He was resistant to, you know, some of his daughters. Um, and so when he asked me to do meditation, Reiki, and sound with him, um, I was surprised, but I was still open. And it was such a powerful experience that I had with him in that session that we had just before he passed. Um, that it really made me realize that this is just, you know, another way that I want to be able um, to help and serve people. Wow. That's a really profound. Jump experience. right in. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm curious about something like, what has this work taught you about yourself? It's really taught me that we're, nothing is impossible to heal from. That's the main thing that I've taken away just from experiences that I've had and just the amazing stories of the people that I've worked with. It's really every person that I work with gives me more strength to be like, wow, hearing this person's story, hearing what they've overcome, hearing where they're at now in comparison to five years ago. I feel like it's just really helped to make me a stronger person and to realize that through every challenge, there is a gift. And so challenges are just here to help us. I love that. Um, it's not the end of the world, you know, if something bad happens, everything is a teaching moment in life. And we can either be resistant towards that or not. The more we're in resistance towards that, the more suffering we invite into our lives. If we allow ourselves to just be open to the transformation that's on the other side of suffering, we're able to kind of navigate um, life just with a little more ease. And I feel like that's something that we all need. A big part of my practice and what I'm about is releasing the amount of suffering that we create in our own lives. Um, there's so many different ways that we add to suffering that unintentionally. And so once we become aware of it, um, then we can kind of all start on that path and process of um, understanding that each situation, each relationship, whether it be with a parent or a sibling, a friendship, a significant other, each, all of these situations are here to help us grow um, in order to create a deeper understanding to ourselves and then the world around us. Yeah, I feel like, because especially I'd never heard of, you know, this en end of life doula and then just, just listening to you speak about this, it feels like you're able to make very profound connections with people quite easily. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption to make? <laughs> Yeah, and it yes. sounds, yeah, like that's that sounds like a really amazing gift to have. And I wonder, you know, you spoke a bit about as a child having, you know, people that have passed come to you. At what point did you 
really decide that you wanted to commit yourself to doing this type of work? Because it can be very, I guess, taxing for some people, you know, if, if you don't have that level of empathy, but because you have it very naturally, I'm curious what the moment was that you were like, this is what I want to do. It kind of came in two stages. So stage one was when I was completely unsure of what I wanted to do. It was like 2011. <laughs> Muna and I were in a very different place back then. And I was seeking just deeper meaning in my life. And I was, it wasn't that I was completely unhappy, but I just felt like I wasn't in my purpose. I felt like I was doing things that I enjoyed and I was having fun, but I wasn't feeling purpose in what I was doing. And so in 2012, um, I decided to literally just like quit my job in Toronto and I booked a one-way ticket to Cape Town and I randomly just moved to Cape Town. Um, and Muna connected me with one friend of hers um, that happened to be out there at the same time. I didn't know anyone that was going to be out there. I didn't know anything about South Africa, um, but I just wanted to see what would happen and who would I become if I was in an environment where no one knew me and I had no ties to anything. And I was completely out of my bubble because when I was in Toronto, I was like in such a small bubble. My world was like a two mile radius, you know, like it, it was mm -hmm. just like, I really wanted to break out of everything that I thought I knew. And the main thing that kept me happy and sane was um, meditation and yoga. And so every day, that's all I did. I was just doing essentially a self-guided retreat um, of meditation, yoga, journaling, reading, and then cooking really um, just local, organic, fresh meals for myself. And I just wanted to nurture all aspects of mind, body, soul. And I had kind of like my first real awakening moment where I realized, you know, that I have this, um, this ability to easily connect to this sense of source or, you know, light or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I started to realize that, you know, I want other people to realize that they can also have the same connection, that this is not a connection for a few, a few people. Um, this is not a connection that only priests have, you know, this is a connection that is within every single person. And I want to help others draw that out of themselves as well and to just lead their lives from that place and see what happens. And so I didn't know what that would mean in terms of like work. <laughs> I just knew that, okay, this is a gift and I wanna help people and you know facilitate that space for people to explore the depths of their mind and their being and just see where it goes. And so then naturally for me, the next step was, okay, I need to study yoga and meditation more seriously. And so I decided to, after South Africa, I moved to Arizona and there's a few schools that I went to out there that were amazing. Um, one of them is a Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. So I went back to school. I already went to school like when I was in Toronto, was on a path and I was like, I thought this is what I was doing. Um, but so when I went to Arizona, that was me going back again a second time. And then a third time, fourth, fifth, like I, it just kept going deeper and deeper. I was in this vortex of just um, healing arts and wanting to study, you know, every single 
modality that helps you to self-heal. I just became obsessed with the body's ability to self-heal, learning that every organ in your body was designed to self-heal. And we do a lot of things to get in our own way of that. And um, I never really thought that I was going to teach these things. I really just wanted a deeper understanding for myself. And then after I completed many different certifications, um, I just realized that it would be selfish to not share these things that I had to then put myself out there in the world and to start teaching. Um, and that's where it, things started to kind of come full circle from my journey in South Africa to Arizona. And the moment that really um, solidified it for me of like, I'm staying connected to this path from this point forward was at the end of the program that I did at Suiha, it, it was a spiritual studies program. Um, the program itself is about a year and a half long. Um, and in it, we studied death and dying. We did comparative religion. Um, we worked into hospice, ceremony and sacred space. Um, and then going into different forms of alternative healing, like energy work, um, aromatherapy, just all these different tools to help us find emotional balance and well-being. And at the end of that program, my advisor, you know, sat me down and asked if I wanted to finish. And I was like, I thought I was finished. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what, did I miss a course? You know, like what happened? I thought I was yeah. done. Like, I'm pretty sure I did everything. And she said, oh, this program is the prerequisite to become an ordained interfaith minister. And I was like, what is that? You know, like, you tell me more. Mm -hmm. And I felt like because I was already so close, I was like, I may as well. I'm here now. I'm going to keep going. Um, and so that's when I started my work um, within the ministry. And when I had that ceremony to basically ordain me as a reverend, um, that is what it represented for me. Wait, was so I'm, you're a reverend? I am. So I why don't we call that. you Reverend Talia? <laughs> Why is that not on your like IG handle? <laughs> Reverend Talia. This is Reverend Talia. Like there's so much pressure with that. I'm low key. Oh I my just god. Like because people, I don't know. I did. I'm I calling you that from now on. Rev Randolph. Uh, uh, Reverend Talia. Uh. <laughs> yes, I am. So, so it mainly. I mean, yeah. I've done different types of ceremonies. I've done weddings. You know, like I've done a lot of different things within that. But um. I, and who knows how that will come full circle in another way down the road too. Mm. Um, but the real reason why I did it was to just mark the, like symbolically, the commitment to being on this path and doing this work for as long as possible. Just kind of like a, a promise to God, I guess you can say. And I mean, it's, it's crazy just how life has continued to take me from one place to the next and kind of fulfilling that prophecy. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I always say that it's like this work found me. I, I never went in with the plan. Like I get a lot of, you know, new students and people just starting to tap into this space who will ask me, um, you know, like, where should I do my training or, you know, what are the, all the things that you did, you know, to get to this place? And it's like, it's, it's not an easy answer. There was no plan of like, I want to be this. And so these are the steps to get there. 
it was just a genuine curiosity of wanting to go deeper into my own understanding and the things that I share are the teachings that have been most um, impactful for me and I know that it will continue to evolve and grow as time goes on. Wow it's so interesting to me that everything feels so intuitive to you and that like all these life decisions big life decisions have come just organically because for so many of us it doesn't happen that way and I'm curious about how because you do so many different things and you're so talented how your arts background because obviously your father started Randolph um, College for the Performing Arts and you went to school there how your arts background has possibly filtered into everything you do and some of the decisions you've made going forward and people you've collaborated with? I think that it's really helped in terms of giving me the confidence to just say yes to opportunities and to just throw myself out there because I know a lot of people who will do different trainings and certifications and they feel a little bit shy um, and they feel like maybe they haven't really found their voice yet or they're not comfortable speaking in front of a class and holding that type of space. So I sometimes in the past would wonder like, you know, why was that such a big part of my life for so long? And then all of a sudden it was just like I left it and I made this big switch. But it's, it's definitely helped and prepared me to just say yes to, to any and every opportunity that comes up, even if it feels like a little bit scary, like when I, um, did the sound at the Hollywood Bowl. Like, I feel like had oh, I yeah. not had experience being on stage before, to me, that would have felt, you know, way too overwhelming or um, just speaking. What about more intimate story. settings? Like, I mean, I know you did this, but maybe the world doesn't, <laughs> uh, you know, being in the studio with Kendrick Lamar. Like, I mean, I feel very comfortable. I, I think that's what it is. I feel like having that background in the arts um, has just made me comfortable being in those artistic settings. Um, and I feel like since I found what my kind of purpose and real passion is that I want to share, there is no sense of um, being nervous at all. I just am extremely giddy and excited with with however big or small, large or intimate these experiences are, um, it feels like I'm just so happy that I get to be doing this work in these spaces, just bringing it into environments where it wouldn't normally, you know, already be there. That um, kind of brings me to my next question. Uh, in line of with, with COVID and everything that's going on in the world right now, how has um, your practice changed and how has COVID impacted that? It's changed completely. So everything that I do was based in person. And I was also realizing that I had more limiting beliefs to work through of what I thought was possible for myself in the wellness space and during COVID because there was a period of time where you know, many people in my field were just kind of in limbo waiting for something, you know, to go slightly back to normal-ish or a modification of what we were used to. But I think at this point, we all know almost a year in that, you know, obviously there's so many different jobs that are affected by this, but in wellness specifically, it's not going back to normal 
um, anytime soon. And so everything had to change. And I mean, I think that I've always loved change. <laughs> I've always loved moving and putting myself in different situations and just changing up the energy. Um, I've never really been resistant to change. And so this has just been a period where I've really been having to practice what I say I believe, you know, and just being open to the uncertainty and just trusting, you know, I'm like, this work is too important for it to just vanish into thin air. And it has way more substance than just vanishing because any particular business closed. Um, and so I've just constantly been staying open to in what ways can I share, you know, and so it, part of that has been shifting to having sessions um, that are online, both like group and private sessions. And it's shifted into now teaching for apps. Um, and it's shifted into um, just companies reaching out, you know, different brands and businesses reaching out for, um, you know, me to curate events for them uh, virtually as well. Um, and so it's been really cool to see how this work does translate online because a lot of people thought that it wouldn't at all. And I would hear from people like, I'm not taking a class again until I can go back in the studio. And that's really sad, you know, like, why would you deprive yourself? And it's the comment that I get over and over is just people feel the energy just as powerful and they're blown away. And I'm blown away too. I had, you know, my own reservations of, you know, virtual Reiki session. How is this going to go? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's so crazy how powerful um, this work is that it can literally translate through a device. And that's what's been the most inspiring and uplifting thing that there's, you know, there's, there's really nothing holding it back. The, the real thing that holds us back is, um, is our frame of mind and, and how we're choosing to look at the situation that we're in. Because I've definitely had times where I've been really down and I've been like, oh my God, you know, like, how is life going to work? Um, what am I going to do? Like all the studios that I worked for are closing. Um, you know, life is completely different now, but I have to say I'm so much happier. You know, it's, it's been a real time of getting clear on how you spend your time, not doing a million things, extending yourself a million different ways. You know, it's, for me, it's really been a time of refinement, um, and kind of like trimming the fat. Um, and it's, it's so funny because anytime anybody asks me how you're doing, I'm like, Talia's thriving. You legitimately one of the only I know who has taken the experience of COVID and just ran with it. Like you've been able in this time to not only expand yourself, but like your business and, um, seeing you like have a more prominent presence online, uh, with your subscriptions, your virtual classes and everything. It's been kind of extraordinary to see how you've really adapted to this new paradigm that we've been challenged with. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have to, and, and things are always changing because, you know, there'll be a new rule where they're like, we're locked down again. And it's like, okay, I can't do, you know, what's been really fun for me is doing these intimate outdoor sound baths. And so then those were going so amazing. And then all of a sudden they put new restrictions in and then I had to stop them for two months. And it's like, all right, just go with the flow, you know, 
let's shift to doing more things online. And I think it's also been a real test to trusting, you know, and, and really having faith and, and strengthening that relationship um, to kind of the internal worlds, you know, the one, the internal world is really the one that's in charge. And so just shifting our relationship to that um, has been, you know, it's just been really powerful to be like, okay, like you can take, you can rest in a state of faith. Um, and it's not impractical, you know, like we obviously still need to be doing steps and, and doing things to um, be structured in some way in terms of whatever our goals are, whatever we're working towards, you know, there is still structure that is needed there. But I think this has also been a real test of, you know, can you have faith through this uncertainty? Can you just trust me? Can you trust that, you know, the universe, your world is working towards your favor? You know, it's here in support of you. Um, it's not working against you. Our ego makes us think it's working against us. So our ego is constantly like, if things are not going to work out, it has that negativity bias that is constantly feeding, you know, any negative thought pattern or belief. But when we can kind of recognize when that's happening in our mind and shift away from it to just recognize that's my lower self talking that's my ego talking that's not my higher self that's not my true essence talking you can start to make that separation within yourself to get to that space of just um of distrust of just fully trusting um and and understanding that you know we're not in control of the way the journey looks. We're not in control of the way the path looks. Um, we're responsible for showing up, you know, we're responsible for taking care of this vessel and for showing up and to not have an attachment to what the form and what the way looks like. That's been my takeaway. Wow. wow. <laughs> dropping gems. Yeah, that's, um, this is very, it's very inspiring to listen to you speak. You know, it really makes me think about some of the stuff that I need to interrogate as well. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you practice wellness for yourself when you're constantly giving that to so many people? What are the things you do to take care of you? So one of the really important things that I tell people is it's never coming from you. So the work that you're doing and the empathy that you're showing and the, you know, the love that you're giving, the compassion that you're giving is not coming from you. It's simply passing through you. So it's not any part of your energy that's being taken away unless you hold that mindset. So if we hold the mindset that I'm giving, 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 and so much is being taken away from me, then that is what's happening. But if you hold the mindset of I'm just simply a clear vessel for this energy to move through me, and in turn I'm charged because it's moving through me, I'm never truly depleted or exhausted from you know, serving all these people and, and doing all this work. It's kind of like how that hugging saint, um, I believe her name is Amma, she goes around and she hugs millions of people all over the world. And it's like, how could you have that much energy to be literally touching? And some people would feel like they're taking on, you know, that person's energy. But the thought 
is energy in itself, you know, and it's so powerful. So it's really just how we're framing it in our mind. Obviously, self-care is important. You know, you don't want to just like work, work, work and run <laughs> yourself ragged. <laughs> um, but that's kind of like where I like to start with it is it's not coming. It's not mine. It's not coming. Um, it's not coming directly from me. It's just passing through. And so when that energy is passing through you, anytime you're doing this sort of healing work, you're receiving just as much as that's coming in. Um, and so I actually feel quite energized after sessions, after yoga, after meditation, Reiki, sound, even end of like doula work. I leave feeling so alive and just like energized and excited. Um, but it is important to put that love um, into yourself and to not forget about yourself in that process. So I think maybe that's where some people um, can drift away a little bit if they are um, if they're, if they're never putting focus and attention and TLC into themselves. Um, and so for me, it shifted because of the COVID, right? So pre COVID, I was very much into bathhouses. That was like my main thing. Like just find me a hot spring, a mineral pool, a Korean spa, a hammam spa. I love using water as a way to recharge the ocean, just getting, you know, sub submerging my body in water and going through those rituals and practices was mm -hmm. really key and important for me. But it's obviously changed because, you know, we can't do that right now, obviously. So I now you just got to take a bubble bath. I know. So now <laughs> <laughs> Put a little oil it's in it. <laughs> Well, yeah, so like, in your bathroom. <laughs> yes, love up on yourself. And like, sometimes I feel like when I would reflect on my life in the past, like pre all of this work, I would only love up on myself when I was going through a hard time. If I was going through some type of heartache or breakup, um, I would only remember to love on myself when it was through some type of suffering. And it's like, why do we have to wait for suffering to just treat ourselves good and to remember that that's just a daily practice? I love that. And in a lot of ways, those experiences help us to remember that. But yeah. I, you know, I feel the same way about prayer. You know, I think it's so easy just to find prayer and to find God or whatever your spirituality is when you're suffering. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is like, when I'm good or when I'm not in a situation where I'm facing a challenge or stress to maintain that level of connection to my spirit and taking care of myself. Like I used to always function in this way where when my life was in shambles, that's when I got serious about taking care of myself. And that's when I got serious about praying and meditating or whatever, but it's, it's actually the reverse, I think finding that. Yeah. And it's like, we have to, when we are constantly taking care of ourselves, we're always, we're increasing our baseline of like, what is our low point, you know? So mm. we're never really getting past that threshold. If we're only taking care of ourselves when we're at our lowest, we're just kind of bringing ourselves back up to a bar that was already low, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's crucial and even more important to stay dedicated to whatever your spiritual practice is in the good times as well. And that's how you kind of continue to elevate your awareness, your consciousness, and 
and those sorts of things is, is by staying dedicated um, through the good, you know, but it takes the bad for us to understand the practice in a way, you know, yeah. so it's not like that, it, that's everyone's journey. No one just goes into it knowing that, okay, I need to stay dedicated regardless if, you know, I got that job or, you know, having a good run in my relationship or like family life is chill, you know, like we have to really maintain that discipline, that dedication through the good times. Because then what happens is when there is a bad time, inevitably, we can't ever escape suffering. That's not a thing. We cannot escape suffering. And so if suffering comes and we've been staying dedicated in our practice through the good times, we aren't going to swing as low. We're going to yeah. notice, you know, this is an experience that's arising in my life. It has no authority over my internal being you know it's something happening it's something to process it's an emotion to move through but it does not have authority over you you know it's simply an aspect that's occurring mm -hmm. and it's going to occur and you're going to move through and process it for whatever and how long that looks like but it doesn't rock you from your center sometimes it does right and then we we get back on course but the more you just stay dedicated the less shook we are by you know, events of the world and our lives and other people's lives. Yes, Reverend. Yeah. Yes, Reverend. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning so much in this conversation right now. Like you're Me just too. There's so many things. I'm like writing things down. I'm like, okay, this. I'm gonna remind myself about this after. And um, as you and Luna were talking about prayer, uh, in my own life, something I I started doing uh, for a couple of years now is I make sure that I'm always having um, like no moments for gratitude before I go to sleep especially. I'm like, thank you for allowing me to have another day. Thank you for my creativity. Thank you for the love in my life, like no matter what. And I noticed that when I started doing that, it made me feel a lot more emotional when I was around people I loved or when something good happened, I was like, wow, like it's really this, I can really feel this energy. Like it felt like I was tapping into it more and, and it wasn't in moments when I needed it. You know, it was just something I did for myself every day to acknowledge how blessed I am. And um, a lot of what you're saying is just reinforcing, you know, my desire to want to tap into this more and just learn more about what you're talking about. Because it's just so, I'm so inspired right now. Just love it. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> that. Thank you, Reverend. That's Thank so beautiful. You. And that's what is amazing about gratitude. Um, you know, gratitude is a really, really powerful practice. Um, and the more we practice it, the more we begin to see it and the more deeply we feel it. So absolutely, you know, he should those things that those experiences and just feeling it more deeply and feeling more fully alive and more human in those moments is, you know, the whole reason. I love this. I love it. I know we want to chat a little bit about what role cannabis plays in your various practices. Um, I'm curious to hear that because I, I don't. I'm very ignorant about how that plays into everything you're doing. So I really want to know. So the first, I guess, situation where I started understanding cannabis as plant medicine was through uh, my uncle, my mother, one of my mother's brothers. Um, he had lung cancer and he was basically making um, cannabis oil out of a crock pot in his own kitchen. And it was against the advice of his doctors. 
um, his doctors were, he's in Canada and his doctors were not about using any sort of cannabis as medicine whatsoever, but he still did it on his own because when he went in, um, you know, to get his x-rays and everything, his tumor had um, grown so much that they said, you know, we need to go in, we need to crack your ribs open, we need to have aggressive surgery. Um, and it was good. The date was in six weeks from the time he found that out. Mm -hmm. And so he started making this oil, taking it not under any specific regimen or prescription. You know, he was just doing his own online research. He was just taking it multiple times a day. You know, it was definitely very potent. Um, it was a mixture of um, whole plant, you know, so there was THC in it. It wasn't just extracted CBD. Um, and when he went in for his surgery, they did another x-ray to verify and the tumor shrunk and they didn't need to do the surgery. And it was like a miracle and no one, the doctors were just shocked. They didn't know why, you know, this was years ago. And so now he teaches cancer patients in hospitals. He's in Manitoba. Um, how to make their own cannabis oil. And so that was like my first intro to, oh my God, this is so powerful. And then also with my godfather, he, re he had cancer um, and he didn't use the cannabis really to heal it. It was definitely beyond that point. It was definitely spread everywhere towards the end, but um, it was for just the pain management and just general well-being and improving the quality of life. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And then shortly after kind of going through these experiences, I was introduced to Papa and Barkley, which is kind of like the leading um, CBD brand in the US. And I, they reached out to me, just a partner on doing a workshop together of doing meditation and incorporating some education on CBD. And so I was very open to this. I was very excited because the founder of Papa and Barkley, um, his story is almost exactly the same to my uncle. And so I just love that this company started out, you know, family business in a really small way and just kind of blossomed across the whole country. Um, and they do a lot of educating. And so they were coming into my workshops to basically do CBD education and giving out samples to everyone in the sound baths. And yo girl, remember um, when I went and they gave me a sample, <laughs> it fixed my back. <laughs> it was crazy. It's, it's so, so powerful when used like intentionally and so I've definitely learned so much and because I was hosting these workshops for I was doing it for about two years um they stopped sending reps and they just started having me do it just because they're like you basically know all of the points to hit at this point um and so it also deepened my own relationship because when I was in high school I used to you know smoke weed recreationally for fun um, and my relationship with it has definitely changed. One of the things that I found out was that smoking is the least effective way to take it if you're wanting to use it for medicinal purposes. Um, and so just having this greater awareness with how it interacts with your body, how our body has an endocannabinoid system that reacts and responds directly to cannabis. It's like this plant was literally 
we have a whole system like the nervous system. We have this endocannabinoid system that was designed specifically to interact with cannabis. So it's no wonder that people have been using cannabis for however many <laughs> years that we've been on this planet cultivating this plant. Um, but especially when we take it in the form of an oil, like a tincture, um, that's the most powerful and potent way to get it into your bloodstream. I didn't know all those things about us having, I, I don't, I'm going to mess up the words that you used. Our system. <laughs> Endocannabinoid. 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 Cannabinoid. I, that's, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I'm going to read more about yeah. this. I use CBD oil to sleep and I grind my teeth yeah. and it's, it helps not grind them as badly. Oh, um, really? But yeah. Like, cause it helps to like re relax the muscles and stuff. Um, and I just find that I sleep better and deeper when I take it. Yeah. I have way more energy. That's what I was just going to say. Like I took, I did it last night and I woke up and I was like, Whoa, like, and I woke really early and I just felt so good. So actually one of the deepest sleeps I ever had was at one of your C CBD, uh, I, I can speak without stuttering <laughs> <laughs> was at your CBD sound bath in Los Angeles. Um, it was a couple of years ago, but I remember j taking the tincture and doing the sound bath and having the deepest experience. It wasn't like sleep. It was like somewhere between sleep and like awake dreaming. It was incredible. That's so cool. Yeah. I find CBD is great because um, so many people are stressed, you know, so at the very basic level, it just really helps with releasing stress and it helps to balance your nervous system. And so when your nervous system is in balance, we're very calm and relaxed. Our body is relaxed. And mm -hmm. since we have receptors, um, the endocannabinoid receptors are all over your body, through your head and throughout every organ, every part of the body. That's why when you take it, it goes to all these different areas. Kind of like when you take, I don't know, like a painkiller, like Advil or something like that. You know, you take it and then it goes to where it's needed most. And so CBDs is similar in that way when you take it orally you take it in and then it literally just goes to the receptor that's like hey we need you mm -hmm. in a nutshell <laughs> wow that's really cool so it helps so many different people for so many different reasons like there's yeah. a million different reasons that's you know people are going to be taking it um and so it's, it's just really amazing that we're in this space where it's becoming legalized um and part of the reason why i was accompanying it with the sound and with the sound baths in specific is it's just great to be able to drop into that meditative space more easily because sometimes say like in an hour class it'll take someone 30 to 45 minutes just to relax and then they're like it was so short because they were only relaxed maybe for like the last 15 minutes of class so for someone who is extremely stressed out and has a hard time centering and finding focus and relaxing the cbd um, can just help speed up that process where, you know, instantly their body is being guided to this state of homeostasis, which is just balance. It's cool. I'm <laughs> like, oh, oh, I wish I had some CBD right here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to investigate this more, um, definitely, because there's many things that I could use to find more relaxation and clarity. Yes. You know? And within that, just one more thing in this subject is that I tell people you need to look for whole plant extract and so because CBD is becoming so popular 
right now. You're seeing it in everything and not all CBD is equal. So you want to really look into the brand that you want to buy from because some brands are using hemp seed extract, which is not the same as a cannabis extract. Hemp seed extract is just a moisturizer. But you'll see products with hemp seed extract in it saying, you know, hemp derived or whatever. And it's not actually doing the thing that you want it to do. It's more of like a marketing thing. So that's the only thing to watch out for is that you do not want hemp seed extract and you want whole plant. Do you have a brand that you like? Papa and Barkley. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Papa and Barkley. That's like, that's the main one um, that I can really vouch for as well as select CBD. Okay, cool. Note yeah, that those down. are the two that I'm most familiar with and, most and work with. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into our would you rather questions, I have one last question for you. Um, what motivates you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would have to say suffering. And so there's, you know, suffering is this interwoven and integral part of life and we spend so much of our lives trying to escape all forms of suffering and to be as far away from suffering as possible and to sometimes turn a blind eye to it and so there is so much suffering in the world and i feel like because of that it keeps me motivated to know that i need to keep doing what i'm doing you know like this work is needed it's needed at a time like now um, and you know I get asked the question why do you stay in the US like you could go back to Canada if you wanted or you could go to a number of different kind of countries like why is you know America the place that you post up and that you stay and that you continue to do your work and it is because of the amount of suffering that is here it's easy to do this work when it's people who are just on vacation or already happy, you know, or, you know, in this beautiful time in their lives, like it's really easy to do the work when you're feeling in a good space. It's harder when you're not. And the people that I want to serve, not to say there's not people suffering in Canada, obviously there's people suffering everywhere, but that's why I specifically feel called to be here at this time. I just want to be part of you know, the positive shift that is the undercurrent of everything that's going on right now. So it's like, in a, in a weird way, it's, it's suffering is the motivation, you know, it just lets me know that um, there's, there's, there's no reason to stop. That's beautiful. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Me neither. <laughs> I but like, I mean, it makes sense. It all and then makes then sense. By the end, I'm like, okay, I got this. That was a very beautiful yeah. answer. Um, so now we have a segment that is rather silly, but very gratifying. Um, we're going to ask you a I'm couple scared. would you rather questions just so we can, I don't know, have a nice have little fun. tickle. <laughs> <laughs> tickle my pickle. You go uh, first. You pick yours first, Mina. Okay. So just to be shady, would you rather oh. see... <laughs> Would you rather stay friends with an ex or cut communication completely? Stay friends? Even if they're toxic? No. <laughs> Not if they're toxic for my life. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, what would you pick, Muna? Uh, cut them off completely. I don't talk to my exes. They're exes for a reason. I think I think if you can find an amateur. What is that reaction? Let's go deeper into yeah. that, Muna. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Reverend, Reverend Talia. <laughs> <laughs> what is arising in you um, right now? I think I think it's a combination of being mad and being hurt and feeling rejected and you know when when I interact with an ex I feel like I have all those negative things that trigger me come up and so I'd rather just cut them out than have to deal with it because some of them trigger. still some of them still piss me off it's fair. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. I'm just saying it's still there's still an opportunity for something the it hasn't come full circle you know yeah it hasn't been resolved hasn't but sometimes people are bums and they're not able to uh, take accountability or ownership so every time you re-engage with them it's just more drama this is true some people don't want it to be in i i think if you can find an amicable way to end a relationship that's ideal or at least like to get to a point where like you see the person you're like yo cool hey how are you nice to see you i'm off now goodbye enjoy your life you know I yeah. wish, but unfortunately, I've had very bad taste in men. <laughs> <laughs> it has not allowed me to have that experience. <laughs> but that is the goal. That's funny. Um, yeah, I wish I was one of those people who like always wanted to be friends with my ex. Okay, but I think also everyone's definition of friends is different. You know, That's true. like, like some no, people are not- legitimately friends with their exes, though they're like besties. That's weird. I feel I mean, like that's, that's and that's so beautiful. I feel like that's like don't know that emotion. Know? I don't know. That's it. like top notch like development. I, I think it's cool when people like get married and then they get divorced and then they're still able to be cool after. I think that's cool. But that usually yeah. happens because I have a kid. Yeah, but I, I like I like I think like if you don't have a kid with someone, then I, not that I have kids, so I know. But I feel like <laughs> you know, especially when you're younger, things are so messy. So it's harder to be friends, but if you can, that's true. That is a hundred percent true. You know, and then when you have a kid and you're married, I generally speaking, people are more and more mature, you know? Um, okay. I want to ask my one now. So would you rather wake up as a new random person every year and have full control over them for the whole year or once a week, spend a day inside a stranger without having any control over them? Once a week, spending a day inside a stranger. What if they're murdering someone and you have to just watch? Why are your minds going to the most <laughs> negative thing? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's like, what, or what if they're just like doing something so terrible and you couldn't do anything and you're like, oh my God. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Like, what if, I don't know. Every, I've watched too many day, right? Waking up as someone else. No, so every, so in the week, one day you wake up as a random person once a week or every year you turn into a new person but you can like have full control so like maybe this year you're you and then next year you're gonna be like a six-year-old kid but you can like be uh, no i wouldn't want. want that no no no, no. Oh, kind of shitty actually <laughs> well, Are they? The <laughs> yeah because 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 even if you wake up as a random person and you have full control what if i'm a prisoner at like in in north korea that I can happen. control myself, but I'm a prisoner in North Korea. That, that sucks. Could that could happen. That's that, that could happen. So what would you pick then, Nuna? Nothing. No, you have to pick one. You can't do that <laughs> no, in this game. That's not allowed. You have to pick one. I think I would. 
I would do the one where I spend once a week inside a stranger because I'd rather spend six days being myself. Okay, that's fair. Because spending a year, I, I can't do prison. Okay, I'm not built for it. Even if, I prison just, part. even if I can control myself, it's a possibility. It is. It is. It's a reasonable possibility. There's enough people in prison for that to be very plausible to happen. Okay. Do you want to ask another one? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? That's so interesting. Here are the faces you're making right now. <laughs> I'm so curious about your like, answer too. Oh, like what would they feel like? But like, uh, rewind. Yeah. Wait, but yeah, we have to, like rewind. We have to um, contextualize this. Can you, okay. can you rewind? Can you change things? Like, are we able to re-engage? Ooh, are able to interact. Mm. And also with the pause, like, what's going on with the pause? The pause. Like, I feel like the pause is like every, everything around you's pause. Like you know, in the movie Click. With Adam Sandler? Yeah. He pauses it and then everything around him pauses, but he can do shit and he can like move and whatever. I feel <laughs> like with the rewind, you probably could, you probably couldn't be seen by people. Like, you know, in Harry Potter, when they go back in time in the third one? <laughs> no. No? Okay. <laughs> they go back in time and like they can like do, they go back and they can like do things, but people can't see them. Like they can't be seen by people. Sorry. So you Keisha, can, like, I think I know which one you would choose. What, what? <laughs> rewind. Rewind. Harry no, I'd actually pick, I'd pick pause. I, wouldn't, I don't like the idea of going backwards and like changing what is now. I'd prefer to have time to think about something to be like, okay, like this is an intense moment. What do I want to do? Rather than like going back and being like, oh, like, let me like shift around things, you know? I wasn't thinking like if I went back that I would shift things. I was like, what if there was like some really amazing moment, right? That you went through and you're like, I want to relive that. You know, like I want to go oh, through that sweet. again. Oh, yeah, that's so nice. That's <laughs> no, so I just nice. think about my regrets. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Maybe I will change my answer. Okay, Muna, now you pick and then we'll finish the would you rather. You pick the, an answer to that one. An answer? What do you mean? Yeah, like would you pick pause or rewind? Um... I think I'd pick pause because if I picked rewind, I would probably fuck shit up too much. <laughs> and I would pick pause because then I could teep things. Like, like, <laughs> is that terrible? I, like, I want to relive nice moments. I was like, I want to steal stuff. <laughs> I mean, the contrast of our friendship. <laughs> I mean, I know that I'm raggedy. So <laughs> funny. that's funny. Uh, no, I, I think I would want to pause so that I could like strategize and reassess and like, you know, get shit right. Yeah. 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 Well, that, game. that game's always fun. Um, well, Talia, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and being our first guest. It was yes, so lovely thank to have you. you. Um, I thank feel you, so. Thank you inspired and I have things I want to go read now and you know you're just so lovely I love your energy um but before we let you go is there anything that you have coming up anything that you want people to know about and also reverend please let people know where they can find you yes please reverend please do it <laughs> so the best place to keep in touch with me of course is on my website airnouveau.com my Instagram is the same as well at Air Nouveau. And that's where I keep everyone in touch and in a loop with what I have going on and all the different events and everything. So I would love to hear from you. Um, if you've been listening in and want to connect or have any other questions, anything else, never feel um, like you can't reach out to me. 
a true earth angel. Thank you for coming and blessing our podcast. Yes, I feel thank you. thank you for having me. guys we want to let you know something very exciting um our collaborators and producers on this podcast never apart have reopened for their saturday open houses which is so great they're in montreal for those of you that don't know but yay so exciting um so that's happening from 12 to 5 every saturday uh, so Never Apart launches seasonal ex- exhibitions, which are accessible online as virtual tours, as well as artist talks and monthly magazines and more. If you visit the website www.neverapart.com or on their social channels at NeverPartMTL, you can find out more information about all of those things I just said. Um, and as of February 17th, the physical gallery space in Milex neighborhood of Montreal has reopened for Saturday open houses between 12 to 5 p.m. to see the exhibitions in person. And one of the collective culture writers, uh, Nicholas Andre, went to the exhibition, uh, I think last weekend, and he said it was really wonderful. So please go check it out if you're in Montreal. Um, and yeah. That's, I wish I could go. It's such a beautiful space. I know. We're going to go. Well, I'm going I'm to go in the summer. Hopefully, if you're here, maybe we can coordinate a trip to go. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, it'll be fun. So we also have another event to announce. It is Collective Culture's next digital event happening March 25th at 7 p.m. And it's going to be hosted by somebody very special to me, my little sister, Hannah Traore. Yeah. Uh, this event is going to be a conversation with Black artists and it is called Blackness and Art, Identity in the Age of Social Revolution. Uh, there are gonna be more announcements coming up about that specific event and more details. So please follow us on all the socials, stay up to date so you can find out when you can get your tickets and a bit more about the panelists. Yes, we're so excited for that. Um, so yeah, we'll be announcing some more stuff on Collective Cultures Instagram, our personal ones as well, and Never Apart. Um, yeah, so I think that's all of the stuff for today. Um, thank you guys for listening again. Thank you for following. Thank you for following. Thank you for all the lovely support we've been getting. And, um, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at Keisha Chung and follow collective culture on Instagram at collective culture with two underscores. My name's Muna Traore. Again, if you didn't know. You did. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Muna Traore. That's M-O-U-N-A-T-R-A-O-R-E. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next month. Happy March. Bye. Bye. Collective Culture Creative Conversations, the podcast, is made possible by Never Apart and Collective Culture. This podcast is produced and researched by Keisha Chung, Muna Traore, and Anna Okoto. It is edited by Anna Okoto. The music you're hearing was made by the lovely Villa Beats. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to the show. We appreciate you and your support, and we can't wait to bring you back more episodes. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.